This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. Hello, friends, and welcome back. In my last talk, I spoke of two kingdoms, the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of God. Jesus spoke of these two kingdoms himself, and he said that Satan, the adversary, is the prince of this world. He's the God of this age. Today we begin to look at the differences between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. And first I want to talk about the place of hardship, pain, and suffering in God's kingdom. In the world, hardships are to be avoided. In Satan's kingdom, troubles can often serve to bring hopelessness, doubt, pain, anger, bitterness, we see this all the time, people who go through a very difficult time in their life and face some real troubles and hardships and sufferings, they can tend to become hopeless or have doubts, or they can be angry, very angry, very bitter, or have a sense of being lost. America and many Western countries, I think, are countries that want to avoid hardship and suffering as much as possible, and so There's a culture of insurance, buying insurance, so that if something goes wrong, you can very quickly get everything put right and back the way it was immediately. So we avoid or we shorten that time of hardship or suffering. As I was preparing these notes, I have this heading that says, in the world, hardships are to be avoided. And then I realized that um, it's also in the church. This teaching is in the church which is contrary, uh, honestly, and as we'll see, to the way God sees suffering and its place in the kingdom. A friend of mine was subscribing to this podcast a few days ago, and I was helping him find it on his phone, and when he subscribed, the phone suggested other podcasts that might also be of interest. And one of them was Joel Osteen. I don't know if you know Joel Osteen. He preaches the health and wealth gospel, and that's very much contrary to what I'm going to be talking about today and what I firmly believe the scripture reveals. So just very quickly, health and wealth or prosperity teaching or word of faith, though they're all related and not exactly the same, they say that Christians can experience perfect health and abounding wealth if only they can exercise the right kind of faith. I am not a prosperity preacher. I do believe that the Lord wants his people to prosper, definitely. Jesus promises an abundant life, but prosperity to God is quite different than prosperity as this world thinks about it. John Piper had outlined six keys to detecting the prosperity gospel, and I'll mention just a couple of these six that apply to what I'm talking about today. The first is the absence of a serious doctrine of the biblical necessity and the normalcy of suffering. The absence of a doctrine of suffering. Prosperity gospel, health and wealth won't really talk about suffering and actual the biblical necessity of it and how normal it is for people to suffer. It's actually normal. Another point is the absence of a clear and prominent doctrine of self-denial. And yet Jesus himself said, if you want to follow me, you have to deny yourself. Take up your cross, which is 
place of suffering. And then number six on this list, you can surely find these on the internet. John Piper says, the prominence of self and a marginalization of the greatness of God to focus on self and self-comfort is contrary to God's will for us and the way that the kingdom functions, the kingdom of God. It's an interesting thing that I do believe flies in the face of the prosperity gospel is that Satan has to ask for permission to trouble people. Isn't that interesting? In Job chapter 1, Satan, who is the adversary, says to God, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? Have you blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land? But stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. That's what Satan said to the Lord. And the Lord replied to him, Very well then, everything he has is in your hands, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. That's in the Old Testament, Satan asking permission to give Job trouble, to bring suffering. Do you see that God gives permission for that? This also happens in the New Testament. We have an example of it. In Luke chapter 22, Jesus says to Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Isn't that remarkable? Again, here is the adversary speaking to God, asking permission to give Peter trouble, and God allows it. I also want to understand something that applies to all followers of Jesus. The word says that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, and he's making intercession for us. And here we see him interceding for Simon. This trouble is coming to Simon. Satan has asked for that permission, and he's been given it. And Jesus says, I pray for you, Simon, that your faith will not fail. Well, the prayer of Jesus is going to be answered, right? If you are facing a difficult time, any one of us facing a difficult time, Jesus is interceding for us, and his prayers are answered. We've got nothing to fear. If he is on our side, who could be against us? Even the adversary can come against us, but he's not as strong as the Lord of heaven. And we'll look at this a bit more later, how in the kingdom of God, uh, hardship and suffering can be flipped on its head and actually always aim for a good outcome. Instead of being avoided, it's a tool that God uses for his ends, and he allows it. I'm going to look at chapter 12 in the book of Hebrews. In my last talk, I suggested perhaps reading chapter 12. In a future talk, I'll discuss Hebrews chapter 12 much more in depth than here, because it deserves quite a bit more time than I can give to it right now. Uh, when I'm discussing perseverance, we'll look at the context of Hebrews chapter 12. But let's look at Hebrews chapter 12 right now, verses 4 through 11. And if you listen to many of these talks, you'll see that this scripture comes up fairly regularly because it is so helpful and so encouraging. Just a little context here. This letter is written to dear persecuted brothers and sisters who have been struggling a lot. And in Hebrews 12 verse 4, the writer says, in your struggle against sin, 
And this is not a struggle against personal sin. It's a struggle against sinful men, a struggle against forces outside of ourselves that are sinful and ungodly, a struggle against a sinful, broken world that is causing so much hardship for these believers. So We need to at least understand that because so many of us, when we fight illnesses or death in a family or all manner of different difficulties, we're struggling against a fallen world where things are very imperfect and often people or spiritual forces will align themselves against us to cause us hardship. So let me read through this and make a few comments. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So here's where I think uh, some health and wealth pastors would not agree with me, and yet I'm looking at this word of encouragement that's here in Hebrews chapter 12. Several years ago, I spoke at a church that is very much inclined toward prosperity gospel teaching, and I had spoken at that church several times before, and on this one occasion, I spoke on Hebrews chapter 12, the place of suffering and endurance and perseverance. And I was never asked to speak there again. I think that what I said and what I'm sharing with you now is just too much going against the general direction of their understanding. They believed, and many people believe, or there's a temptation to believe, that the blessings of God are fulfilled here on this earth, and the prosperity that God has for us and the abundant life that he has for us is fully realized here and should be fully realized here. And yet we don't see that. If that were true, Jesus would have been the wealthiest man in the history of the world because he had the greatest faith. All of those world's blessings would have flowed to him. His disciples would have been tremendously wealthy and happy, healthy men, and yet almost all of them were killed for their faith because they were preaching Jesus as the Messiah and bringing this good news into a world that really rejects that message. I think probably the most surprising verse in this scripture is verse 5. The writer says, You've forgotten the word of encouragement that addresses you. That this is an encouraging word. When I was a young believer and read Hebrews 12, this was not encouraging. I wanted to avoid hardship. I wanted to avoid suffering and pain. And I had this idea that once you come to God, everything's good. Everything is easy and peaceful. Everything is really good when we come to God. 
but it's through the challenges that we are, our character is built up. And I'll talk about that a little bit later. So this really is an encouraging word. If you're facing something hard or somebody that you know is facing something hard and they are a follower of Jesus, this is encouraging because in verse 7 it says, endure hardship as discipline because you're being treated as a child of God. That we should endure hardship as discipline. And in verse 10 it says, all of these things are done so that we can share in God's holiness. Verse 11, no discipline seems pleasant at the time. It's painful. If you're going through something that is painful, you're being disciplined. If you're not suffering something that's difficult or painful, then you're not being disciplined. Now, we all go through various trials and difficulties, hardships. Some are very, very, very severe hardships. Certainly, the people who were first reading this letter to them, they would understand because they had lost their businesses, they had been imprisoned and beaten because of their faith. That's a hard thing. And the writer here is saying, endure this as discipline because you can share in his holiness if we go through these things. And these difficulties will produce a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by them. That's where suffering works into the kingdom of God, that we share in his holiness through them, enduring them as a loving discipline. Isn't that something? And if we persevere in these things and let them do their work in us, then there's going to be a harvest of righteousness and peace. A friend of mine many years ago had a, probably a four-year-old son, and my friend was sitting at the kitchen table having a cup of coffee in the morning, The coffee was hot, but not terribly hot. And his little boy came walking up and was trying to put his fingers up, reach up and put his fingers into the coffee cup. He was down low. He couldn't see what was in there, and he was trying to put his fingers up there. And my friend said to his little boy, no, don't. You're going to hurt yourself. Don't put your fingers in there. That's going to hurt. And the little boy would pull back for a little bit. But then he was so inquisitive, and he kept coming up and trying to reach up and put his fingers again, put his fingers up into the coffee cup. And my friend again said, don't, don't touch that. That's hot. That'll hurt you. And finally, a third time, the little boy comes up and he reaches up to put his fingers in. He looks over at his papa because his dad has told him twice already, don't do this. And my friend thought, okay, we'll just let him do what he's going to do. And his little boy reached up and put his fingers down in that hot coffee. Didn't burn his fingers, but it scared him. And he started crying and, you know, and then my friend held him and comforted him. Are we not like that so many times? God warns us against things, and yet we persist in them, and then they cause us pain. Well, what are the lessons that this little boy learned? Two important ones, I think. First is that coffee is hot. You don't put your fingers in hot coffee. He won't do that again. And hopefully he learned to trust his father. When his father said, don't do that, then don't do it. And sometimes God allows us to walk into things he's warned us about and, and then we cause ourselves pain, but it feels like punishment or it feels like, why am I suffering? And yet we've brought it on ourselves. Sometimes that happens. Well, how can we disarm evil forces? How can we disarm the adversary? Well, we take something that he means for evil and turn it into an opportunity to share in God's holiness. And that's what Hebrews 12 is telling us. Imagine that if the devil were to go to God and say, I want to give Mike some trouble. And God says, go ahead. And then I get trouble, and I turn that into an opportunity 
to share in the holiness of God. I say, oh, a hard time. Oh, this is good, a hard time. I can consider this very good because now through this difficulty I'm facing, I can share in the holiness of God and I can have a harvest of righteousness and peace. That will disarm the adversary. So remember this encouraging word that evil hardships can equal loving discipline if we'll let that do its work in our hearts. Well, what did the brother of Jesus say? James, one of the Lord's brothers, he wrote, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Another translation of verse 4 there is, allow perseverance to do its work so that we'll be mature and complete. This allowing the hardships to do what they're going to do in us helps us to become more mature, grown up, and complete. There's the word perfect that is often used, and perfect doesn't mean faultless in so much as it means complete, not lacking anything. If something is perfect, then it's not lacking anything. And God wants us to grow up and be mature and not lack anything. And it's these trials of different kinds that test our faith and they develop perseverance. And if we'll let perseverance do its work, then we'll grow up, we'll be more mature, and we'll be more perfect, we'll be perfected, not lacking anything. In God's kingdom, troubles are to be welcomed. Isn't that something? We can consider them a source of joy. And I'll talk, actually, in the next talk about how God thinks about joy compared to how human beings often think about joy. We can be joyful when we are oppressed. It doesn't mean we're happy or feeling good, but we can consider it like a really good opportunity to be more like Jesus, to share in his holiness, to look forward to a harvest of righteousness and peace, perseverance, maturity. We can be thankful for those things when they come. Several years ago, a friend of mine, a missionary, told me this story. He and his family were in the United States for a little while, and they went to a mainline Christian church in the USA, and they were in a small group meeting, and one of the ladies in the small group really shared her heart, opened up about some serious situation she was going through, and bared her soul and was weeping and sharing her suffering with the group. And the group was not mature. It really didn't have an answer for her. The group seemed to have this idea that suffering doesn't really fit into God's kingdom. And if we're suffering, then there's something wrong with us, something amiss. And they really didn't have an answer, a way to comfort this lady who was going through suffering. And one of the ladies in this group, after hearing this other lady share her suffering and her pain, one of the other people said, you go, girl. That's the only comfort that she could offer to a woman who was suffering so much, just to say, you go, girl, which means you got this, you're in control, it's all good, you just keep going. And to me, that's a shallow comfort. And we as believers need to be able to comfort people who are suffering, going through hard things. One thing that has helped me a lot is the study of the Greek word character, or character. And the character, the character, the Greek word, is 
an engraving. It's an impression. It's a likeness which is stamped onto a coin. It also has that meaning of our inner being, the sum of our personality. And this word character is used in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, that says Jesus is that perfect reflection, that perfect image of God. In Greek, the word character refers to, for instance, the image of a king on a coin. And let's just think a little bit about how this is done. The image of a king on a coin is formed by taking a blank piece of metal and imprinting the image of the king onto it. And that process involves violence and heat. In order to get that image stamped into that blank piece of metal, there's tremendous force that comes to play to press that image of the king into that blank. And if the coin moves, then the image of the king is not perfect. It'll be blurred or out of focus or incomplete. I think you see where I'm going with this. God uses hardships in our lives to form his character in us. Just as this image of a king is stamped with force and energy and heat into a blank, he uses these hardships, these forces in our lives to form his character in us. The daily sources of anxiety or burdens that we have are what he will use to help us share in his divine nature. This could be at work or family or finances or health. Whatever these difficult circumstances are in our lives, he will use those things to form his character in us. And if we try to avoid those hardships, his character is not formed perfectly in us. And I apply this quite often. When I'm in a time of hardship, I try to relax and breathe out and let the hardships do the work that God wants them to do in my heart. Instead of trying to squirm or complain or dodge, when something comes, and believe me, through the work in Russia and other countries, uh, we have faced some pretty hard things. When these come, I try to, by God's grace, just relax, just be like a blank coin underneath this pressure and say, God, you do your work in me. Like James says, let perseverance have its full effect so that you'll be complete, not lacking anything. That's how hardships can bring the kingdom of God more and more deeply into our souls and then touch the people around us. And that's how we can comfort people. Jesus, for the joy that was before him, he endured the cross. He said we have to take up our cross. It's a place of suffering. and We have to walk with him. We have to deny ourselves. And when this suffering comes, whatever it is, there's the promise that the joy is beyond it. There is joy past it. That's why we can consider it a joy when we face these difficult times because it won't always be as it is. The still waters and the green pastures, they're always ahead. So these hardships can form God's character, make us more complete and mature, And then as we move on further and further and walking with the Lord, we become more mature and we are able to help other people. That's why God does that work in our lives. He wants us to bear the stamp of him and be more and more like him. Now that is a different kingdom. 
this understanding of hardship and difficulties, it's a different kingdom. It's a completely different way of approaching hardships and understanding difficulties and sufferings and the place that those have in our lives. They're not things to be avoided. They're things to be recognized as loving discipline, as tools that God uses to impress his character on our hearts. Well, next time I'll discuss how words, very common words, have different meanings in the kingdom of this world compared to the kingdom of God. Words like life and death and joy and hate, all of these things that we grow up thinking we understand, and we need to look more deeply and see how God understands these words, what they really mean in the kingdom of heaven. So, until next time... Pray that the Lord will continue to reveal his word and his ways to you because his ways are good and they always bring peace to the soul. Jesus said to his disciples, Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Thank you for listening and God bless you all.